Happy, happy Monday morning. Hello, humans of the Twin Cities and the world beyond. How are you? This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Happy Monday again. I hope your day has started well. I hope your weekend was good. And here you are with me now for the next hour, Talking Head. Um, I don't like these Talking Head shows, but we, um, we were short on guests. And by the way, I think it's still going to be a good show. So hopefully you'll put up with me and not turn the dial at this moment. Um, hello. Um, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio, um, where I bill myself as a practical idealist, where we talk about idealism, and, and we talk about idealists doing their work in the world, and we talk about other things related to idealism. Sometimes we talk about um, the inequities, or we talk about um, uh, striving to make the world a better place. And today, we are going to talk about somebody who is an idealist, a rising politician, um, uh, many of you have heard the name, but you, not everyone knows the story. So I'm going to give you a little bit of that. And then I'm going to talk about racism today, um, how it causes trauma. I'm going to give you an example of historical, race, uh, historical trauma caused by racism. And then how um, trauma flipped the other way can actually cure racism. Yep, you heard me say that. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to talk a little bit about empathy. So I think we've got a good show. And so let's just go ahead and get started. First, our rising political figure. Um, the election is two weeks away. There seems to be a blue awakening here in America. Uh, we're all at least hoping for that. And some would say that leading that awakening is a brand new face, now a 29-year-old, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a New Yorker who unseated 10-term, that would be 10-term, 20 years at the, at, with the seat, 10-year-term Congressman Joe Crowley. She unseated him um, earlier this year for the Demo in the Democratic primary for New York's 14th Congressional District. You know, and so who is this woman? Who is Alexandria ocasio Cortez. Well, um, here you go. She was born in the Bronx. Her father was an architect. He was born also in New York. But her mother um, was born in Puerto Rico. So Ocasio-Cortez has Puerto Rican roots. We heard last month in September that actually one of her grandparents died as a result of Hurricane Maria. She has family still in Puerto Rico. As she was growing up in the Bronx, they did move to um, the, the next burb over from the Bronx um, when she was younger. As she grew up, uh, she attended high school, of course, and uh, had an interest in government and youth leadership. She graduated in 2007. I mean, think about that. I mean, that is just 11 years ago. She, she was a high school senior 11 years ago. And then she went on to attend... Boston University on a fellowship. In college, she was an intern in Ted Kennedy's immigration office. I'm assuming that was the local office in Boston. And started to get her feet wet um, in the political arena. She graduated from BU, from Boston University, cum laude, in 2011. Need I remind you that that was only seven years ago. She graduated with a B.A. in Economics and International Relations. Now, while she was in college, while Ocasio Cortez was in college, her father died of lung cancer. Uh, there was apparently no will, and there was then a long probate fight. And Ocasio Cortez later wrote that she learned how attorneys appointed by the court to administer an estate quote, can enrich themselves at the expense of families trying to make sense of the bureaucracy, unquote. She's a shining example of how our life experiences cause us to gain certain perspectives about the world and perhaps um, along with that, certain motivations. After college, um, Ocasio-Cortez went back to the Bronx and at that time, her family, she and her mother, were fighting the foreclosure of their home. So, there you go. Um, it's, uh, it would be after the, um, 
financial collapse. Um, they're at risk of losing their home. Ocasio Cortez worked as a bartender and a waitress. Her mother's cleaned houses. You know, this does sound like the classic American success story. But Ocasio Cortez wasted no time. Uh, using a micro loan, established she established a publishing company for children's books and literature that portray the Bronx in a positive light. Now, need I remind you that this is a 20-something going and getting a microloan to establish a publishing company. She also worked for the National Hispanic Institute. And then in 19, uh, excuse me, 19, wow, 2016, she, uh, Bernie Sanders came along, of course, and she started working for him as an organizer. And we, of course, know what happened with Bernie. After the campaign, after the election, um, Ocasio-Cortez did something that I have done, not that I'm in any league like her, but she got in her car and she drove across America. I give her a lot of credit for doing that. She went to, she went to Flint and spoke there about the water crisis. Then she went to Standing Rock. And she later said that Standing Rock was a tipping point for her. She had believed until then that she needed to have money or wealth or a pedigree in order to get into politics. But what she saw at Standing Rock were people willing to put everything on the line for things that they believed in. And so that there, therein is part of the story, which is about how we do support each other and we do push each other on um, in a, a myriad of ways. So, um, beginning last year, in 2017, she started uh, the grassroots campaign to take on Joe Crowley, who was at that time the Democratic caucus leader, um, by flipping uh, his seat. She did that by a, um, a, a fundraising strategy where she um, sought out uh, only small donations, and then her strategy was to expand the electorate, to get people who ordinarily would not vote people who felt that they were powerless to get them to vote. Uh, she got some endorsements, um, not a whole lot of big ones because um, she was a nobody. Um, but Crowley got some. He got, of course, uh, the governor of, of Governor Cuomo's uh, endorsement and the two senators, New York senators, uh, Schumer and Gillibrand, they endorsed uh, Crowley. And I, I'm just guessing no one saw Ocasio Cortez coming. I just you know, and, and uh, maybe someday I'll tell you the story about my very first, when I was a trial lawyer, my very first million-dollar verdict um, with uh, a Goliath who didn't take me seriously. But back to Ocasio-Cortez. So here's the deal. Crowley raised $3.4 million for the primary. Ocasio-Cortez raised 194000 And when the votes were tallied, she got 50, 57% of the primary vote to Crowley's 43%. Now, she's got a Republican candidate um, for the um, 14th district in New York um, uh, who is a, a college professor and, and who really isn't even campaigning. So, assuming Acacia Cortez, Cortez is elected, she would be the youngest woman to ever be elected to the House of Representatives in the history of the United States. And as we've heard, she is pushing ideas um, that are uh, different, radical, uh, by some accounts. She describes herself as a democratic socialist. So her ideas include Medicare for all. She calls um, health care a human right. Duh, it sure is. Um, and, of course, she is uh, bound to determine to make sure that she reminds us that all the rest of the advanced world has universal health care, including some parts of the unadvanced world. She's pushing for tuition-free college. Um, she pointed out that the cost of the GOP tax bill could have forgiven the entire amount of student debt in our country. Think about that. She, ends for, uh, she advocates for ending privatizing of prisons. She's an advocate for gun control. She's pretty strong on the environment. She actually 
calls herself a radical as it relates to the environment. Her goal is 100% renewables by the year 2035. Can you imagine what the world would look like by 2035 if we were no longer dependent on fossil fuels? She advocates for abolishing ICE um, and, um, and for the path of citizenship for all humans who are documented and undocumented in the United States. So when we talk about an idealist, um, this is uh, your person. This is my person, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And she, you know, she does represent the best of America right now. She does. Fearless. Oh, my God. Um, willing to take risks. Willing to, willing to say what she feels that she needs to say. And she was saying that before the primary saying that when she took the risk that traditional democratic voters would side with Crowley. She is, right now, at this point in America, where we are, she is exactly what we need. That's what idealists do. They show up when needed. I hope you've enjoyed that. Um, I really enjoyed learning about her. And so, you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio, a different kind of radio show, one that taps into the idealism where all of us have for a better world, better America, and one that's more inclusive. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. Um, sign up for my newsletter if you go to the website. I'll be back in a minute for the rest of the show. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Seward Community Co-op is hosting two fabulous dinners in October, and you're invited. Firstly, a farm table featuring produce from the Hmong American Farmers Association on Tuesday, October 23rd from 6 to 8.30 p.m. at Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe. This meal has been designed by executive chef Matt Capra. Tickets for the three-course dinner are $49. Tickets are limited, so grab your seat at Seward Co-op Creamery's farm table right away. Seward Community Co-op is owned by their shoppers, who are members of the community. Their annual owner meeting dinner will be October 30th, and Sean Sherman from The Sous Chef is designing the menu and will offer teachings on indigenous foods. Not an owner? Become one today by visiting customer service at the co-op. Benefits of ownership include exclusive deals, discounted classes, and 10% off your purchase once per quarter. All owners are invited to the annual owner meeting dinner. Tickets are $5 in advance and $15 at the door. Visit seward.coop to purchase your tickets for both of these exciting dinners now. Hello, humans. It's Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many know that I have a diversity and inclusion company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I want to share about a speaking event I'll be hosting on Monday, November 5th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Loft Literary Center in Minneapolis. I'll be giving my gray area thinking talk on how to be welcoming to others. I'd love for you to join me. Go to elliekrug.com and look at the Human is Human public events page for more. Please come and please tell others. See you then. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. How long till my soul gets
AM 950 LE 2.0 radio. And you know what? Regular listeners, if you were paying attention on the first segment, you, I forgot to do something. So bear with me because I need to do it now. So if you're a new listener to LE 2.0 radio, and I hope you are, um, you may be confused right now because my name is Ellie. Formal name is Ellen. That'll be in the obituary. Um... You know, but you're hearing like what sounds like a man's voice, uh, much to my chagrin. Well, and that is because I'm one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. So there you go, just to dispel that confusion. It's the last time I'll talk about it. Regular radio hosts, you're probably wondering, will I ever hear that? So I have to say it once a show. I'm sorry, I am neurotic. So in my B block here where we're going to um, cover racism, that's what we're going to do. I want to first talk about what happens when racism gets out of control. Um, and then um, the next segment after that, I'll talk a little bit about how you can get past racism. Probably um, not voluntarily, but I'll, you'll understand when I get to that. And I also want to talk about historical trauma. Okay, we, we've heard that phrase, historical trauma, in a variety of settings. Um, many of you may most fami be familiar with that phrase as it relates to pe people of Jewish an ancestry. <clears throat> the Holocaust and the effect of the Holocaust, even today, on the memories and the orientation and the perspective of people who are Jewish um, is, is ever-present. And that is because of the trauma of the Holocaust and, uh, the, uh, and in part, uh, how the world reacted to Jews during World War II um, by turning them away. And, you know, and we don't need to get into it. But that's an example of historical trauma. I'm going to take you to a historical trauma event um, involving um, African-Americans, black people. So um, this, all, uh, uh, this is all about Tulsa, Oklahoma. There were race riot. There was a race riot there that occurred on May May 31st and June 1st, 1921. You may not have heard about this because it is not prominent in our history books, and um, until fairly recently, it was something that most Oklahomans uh, did not want to talk about. Um, so, in uh, 1921, there were about 80,000 people living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was a major population center <clears throat> in that region of the South. And in Tulsa, at that time, there was a section of Tulsa, approximately 35, 40 blocks of Tulsa, that was predominantly, well, that was exclusively um, inhabited by uh, black folks. The, and the neighborhood, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the area was called Greenwood. And as it turns out, it was a very prosperous area, not only of Tulsa, but of the United States. In fact, um, Greenwood was, by some accounts, called the Black Wall Street of America. It is, um, according to the accounts I've read, it was the um, per capita, the highest income, highest wealth area for blacks in the United States in 1921. So that gives you some kind of idea of what kind of a community that blacks, African Americans, had built for themselves. I put quotation marks around that. Um, as of Memorial Day, 1921. The race riot was triggered by the arrest of a 19-year-old black man accused of assaulting a 17-year-old white woman in an elevator. Now, there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, background about whether the assault ever occurred, of course, um, and because the the white woman later on refused to press charges. Um, but it didn't matter. The black man was arrested, and at the time of the arrest, uh, there were rumors of him being lynched. Um, the sheriff. Uh, in Tulsa at that time, um, because of those rumors, um, made uh, took security precautions to prevent a lynching from happening, but it did not prevent a group of white people and then a group of black people from congregating outside the jail. And both groups had guns. 
at some point in that confrontation, even though there were people, um, you know, advocating for peace, advocating go home, go home, um, at some point there was a shot filed. Now, fired. Now, you need to take into account that 1921, it's very soon after the end of World War I, you had a number of black um, service members, veterans, who came back to the United States and felt, um, rightfully so, that the country should be um, more equal for blacks because, in part of the sacrifice that they made over in Europe. Um, and so you, you have, you know, and then there were some issues about employment going on. So you had quite the um, social witches brew going on in Tulsa as of Memorial Day 1921. So the two crowds congregate over um, the, the rumor of this uh, black man being lynched. There was a shot fired, and before we knew it, there were 12 people killed immediately, 10 whites and two blacks. Um, word got out, and then there was mob action and violence. Thousands of whites entered the Greenwood area of, of Tulsa, and before it was done, they rampaged 35 blocks. 35 blocks. Um, and if you go to Wikipedia, my, my great source of always information, you will see photographs, literally, of the city, parts of the these neighborhoods just totally leveled. And frankly, what those photographs reminded me of were the um, 1906 uh, San Francisco earthquake. I was in San Francisco recently and, and saw photographs and just how the city was leveled by fire. And that's what Tulsa, Oklahoma looked like. So um, the death toll really is unknown. It could be as high as 300 um, or more. The injuries that occurred were um, as high as 800 or more. 10,000 people were left homeless. 10,000 people. I mean, all told, I think in that area in Greenwood, there were 13,000 people living. Um, and all of this was brought down, brought brought about for me, it got on my radar because last month, and if you are a subscriber to my newsletter, The Ripple, you will see that I I at least um, mentioned this in my odds and ends uh, section of the newsletter. There was a piece in the New York Times by one of my favorite columnists, Charles Blow, and um, the piece was, uh, is, was titled, Eyewitness of the Desolation of Black Wall Street. And it um, was a story about, a piece about Blow going and speaking with Olivia Hooker, who um, at age 103 when he interviewed her uh, not very long ago, um, was six years old at the time of the race riot in Tulsa. And she gave an account, and, and what uh, Blow uh, retold in his piece was how um, uh, Olivia and her three other siblings lived in a uh, a, a very nice house in, in Tulsa, in Greenwood. Her father owned a department store. Um, and on the, on the night of the race riot, on the night of May 31st or the morning of June 1st, um, she was at home with her siblings and, um, and white men came to the house, broke in. She and her siblings hid under beds and they could hear as, as white men were vandalizing, trashing the house. You know, pouring, uh, she said, uh, oil over the piano in the, in the front room, uh, stealing all of the silver in the house, breaking a Caruso uh, record that had been sent from England by one of her mother's friends, and, um, and just destroying the house. I mean, the house uh, apparently did not get burned. There are other accounts. And so this woman told this story and then told about how... The trauma stayed with her. There were other accounts um, by uh, of that day where there were biplanes. So remember, this is at the pretty much the dawn of the uh, flight era. Biplanes going over the city with um, militiamen firing at blacks in Greenwood, in the Greenwood area, um, or dropping uh, turpentine, uh, flaming turpentine balls to burn down buildings. I mean. It sounded horrible. It really did. And, um, and you know, it, 
it, it really is about trauma. And so um, the reason that Blow went to speak with her was um, because she wanted, you know, he wanted to document this. She's one of the, the last remaining survivors of this race riot. And what Bro, uh, Blow writes um, was this, quote, American history is full of stories of black people doing precisely what America says it wants of its citizens, being creative, enterprising, and industrious, being self-respecting and self-sufficient, only to have white people destroy what they've built, impede their progress, and erase their wealth. And these are not far-off stories. Those are also the stories of the living, unquote. And really, that is what historical trauma is, is that <clears throat> you know that you've been marginalized in a hor horrific way and that um, it has impacted not only you emotionally, maybe even physically, but it's impacted your people. Now, and, and I don't think that we can ever underestimate the effects of historical trauma on classes of people. I happen to be transgender. Um, a lot of historical trauma related to trans people or, or people who are gay or lesbian. You know, and, and, and no one has the market cornered on this historical trauma. The point here is to understand it. Now, for, for decades, the race riot was not acknowledged in Oklahoma. It wasn't even mentioned in retrospectives, you know, where they say 20 years ago, this date kind of thing that they do in the newspaper. But in 1996, marking the 75th anniversary of the riot, the Oklahoma legislature commissioned a commission, set up a commission to study the event and provide an historical account. The commission made several findings, including, and recommendations, including the recommendation for direct reparations to the survivors of the riots and their direct descendants. But in 2001, the Oklahoma legislature did not do that. Um, they instead provided 300 college scholarships for descendants of Greenwood residents. Then they created a memorial and they did something about economic de uh, development. And then for the 118 living survivors at that time, they gave them gold-plated medals. Gold-plated medals. <laughs> really, that's what they did. No reparations. So, that's how race can impact us. And we are still grappling with the effects of the color barrier between humans. We're still grappling even today with why and how things happen when we consider people who are other. Not good. When I come back, I will give you um, uh, a different story about how trauma can actually erase racism. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950. I'll be back in a minute. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. 
Hello, humans. It's Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many know that I have a diversity and inclusion company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I want to share about a speaking event I'll be hosting on Monday, November 5th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Loft Literary Center in Minneapolis. I'll be giving my gray area thinking talk on how to be welcoming to others. I'd love for you to join me. Go to elliekrug.com and look at the Human is Human public events page for more. Please come and please tell others. See you then. Be sure to pick up your copy of this month's Natural Awakenings magazine, a free local guide to a healthier and more balanced life. Each monthly issue includes timely, local, national, and global stories. Learn about alternative and complementary medicine, nutrition, fitness for body and mind, personal growth, sustainability, and much more. Natural Awakenings can be found at area health food stores food co-ops, and retail locations. More information is available at naturaltwincities.com. That's naturaltwincities.com. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Today will be sunny with a high near 57, while tonight is mostly clear with a low around 32. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 46, Wednesday sunny with a high near 50, and Thursday mostly cloudy with a high near 50. Linden's party value has moved one mile north. Getting to Linden's party value is easy. Just Google 913 Plymouth Avenue North. Shop their haunting Halloween and fabulous fall sections. And yes, free parking. Or shop online at partyvalue.com. And we are back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. So, you know, be honest with me. How many of you knew about the Tulsa race riot? Raise your hand. Um, I would tell you that before I saw Charles Blow's article, um, I knew something about it, but not much. And so, there you go. And we need to, we need to understand this about how racism works. We do. And about how when even sometimes the lightest of catalysts occurs that we break off into our tribal identities and lash out. It, it happens. I mean, it's not the only race riot we've ever had in the United States by a long shot. But now I want to talk about how racism can be erased. Now, and and what I'm going to talk about is it's not being, this instance I'm going to talk about, it's not like voluntary erasure. It's about necessary or mandatory erasure. And and again, but it's about trauma as well. So, um, and frankly, I think the best way to say it is how trauma can cure racism. Okay? And, And so if you receive my newsletter, The Ripple, which goes out every month, the middle of every month, you will recall that the September issue, last month's issue, I spotlighted a, I mean, I really heavily focused on an essay that appeared in the Sun magazine um, in early uh, September. Um, the, the essay was written by a poet and writer named Tom Hoagland. Um, and Hoagland apparently is a cancer survivor. And the title of his essay was this, quote, The cure for racism is cancer, unquote. Apparently, um, Hoagland is a cancer survivor. Um, and apparently he writes, about, um, he writes about his experience and um, I'm going to guess was treated at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston because he, he um, identifies that in his essay. The message of Hoagland's essay is that cancer is the great leveler. Um, Or for that matter, any illness, any prolonged illness or hospitalization is a great leveler. Um, That cancer changes your perspective um, 
about humans, about any human, about class of human, about color of human. Um, and I found the essay to be some of the most powerful writing I have seen in several years. And in fact, the essay at several times brought me to tears because the writing was so incredibly wonderful and beautiful and compelling. Um, and so I'd like to quote some sections of this. I'm not, I, I don't like reading uh, all that much on the radio, but I'm going to do my best because there are parts of this that just flow so incredibly beautifully about the point that in the end, race, or class, or anything else doesn't matter. So here we go. Hoagland writes this, quote, America, that old problem of yours, question mark, racism, question mark. I have a cure for it, colon, get cancer. Come into these waiting rooms and clinics, the cold radiology units and the ICU cubicles. Take a walk down leukemia lane with a strange pain in your lower back and an uneasy sense of foreboding. Make an appointment for your CAT scan. Wonder what you are doing here among all these sick people, the retired telephone lineman, the grandmother, the junior high so school soccer coach, the mother of three. I wish there were other ways to cure your racism, America, but I don't see one. Frankly, your immune system seems to be the problem. Installed by history and maintained by privilege, it is too robust, too entrenched to be undone by anything less than disaster. That's how it is for a lot of us. If you're a white and doing well in America, a voice whispers to you incessantly, repeating that you deserve to be on top, that to profit is your just reward. And it's not only white people who need the cancer cure, it's any person who thinks that someone of another religion, color, or background is somehow not indisputably equally human. But there's good news, too. As you pass one hallway after another looking for elevator B, you'll see that this place is full of people riding the escalators, reading books and magazines, checking their phones near the coffee pots, and it will dawn on you that most of these people have cancer. In fact, it seems as if the whole world has cancer. With relief and dismay, you'll realize, I'm not special. Everybody here has cancer. The withered old Jewish lefty newspaper editor, the Latino landscape contractor with the stone roughened hands, the tough lesbian with the bleached blonde crew cut and the black leather jacket, and you will be cushioned and bolstered by the sheer number and variety of your fellows. This strange country of cancer, it turns out, is the true democracy, one more real than the nation that lies outside these walls and more authentic than the lofty statements of politicians a democracy more contrivable than platitudes or aspiration. In the Republic of Cancer, you, have, you might have your prejudices shattered. In the rooms of this great citadel, patients of one color are cared for by patients of other colors. In elevators and operating theaters, one accent meets another and, sometimes only after repetition, squeezes through the transom of comprehension. And when the nurse from the Philippines or the aide from Houston's Fifth Ward or the tech named Dev says, I'll pray for you, you are filled with gratitude for their compassion. This place bears Little uh, bears a passing resemblance to the old photographs of Ellis Island. So many travelers coming from afar, sitting with their passports and papers hunched on wooden benches with luggage at their feet, waiting to find out if they will be admitted and advanced to the next stage in the process. Some of the travelers are dressed in pajamas and slippers. Some have on shiny blue track stops, track suits and Nikes, and some wear suits and ties as if being presentable will make a difference. The shabby and the effluent, the stoic and the anxious, the scrawny and the stout, the young and the aged. If we are tense or pace restlessly, it's because we are aware that we may, on short notice, be deported swiftly. And because of this, perhaps our hearts soften. And Hoagland ends this with this. So America, I express this rather unconventional wish for you. I hope you get cancer.
In order to change, you must cross this threshold, enter a condition of helplessness, and experience the mysterious intimacy between the sick and their caregivers, between yourself and every person who is equally laid low. It's true. What Hoagland writes is true. When we are sick, when we are dying, all lines of demarcation fade. And all we want is someone who cares. Someone who is human. When we come back, I'll give you my last segment about empathy, which I think I might have just triggered in some of you. Thanks. Hello, humans. It's Ellie Krug with LA 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many know that I have a diversity and inclusion company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I want to share about a speaking event I'll be hosting on Monday, November 5th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Loft Literary Center in Minneapolis. I'll be giving my gray area thinking talk on how to be welcoming to others. I'd love for you to join me. Go to elliekrug.com and look at the Human is Human public events page for more. Please come and please tell others. See you then. I'm John Peterson of Ferndale Markets, and I'm the third generation to grow turkeys on our family farm in Cannon Falls. We've grown them the same way since 1939, free range and without antibiotics. We're proud of the way our turkey tastes naturally, so we don't add a thing. Just 100% pure turkey. Reserve your free-range Thanksgiving turkey today for pickup at our store right on the farm in scenic Cannon Falls or at one of our Metro retail partners. Visit us at FerndaleMarket.com for more information or to reserve your turkey today. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. My family conquered the family vacation thanks to my Toyota Sienna. This last summer, I drove 16 straight hours in a single day, heading to the coast, a test which challenges even the most comfortable vehicles. The Sienna passed with flying colors. Roomy, comfortable, and easy to drive, it made the long day a piece of cake. And when driving in a new town, the Toyota Sienna gives me the comfort and reliability I need. Test drive one yourself at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. AM 950 LE 2.0 radio. Okay, so I read a lot in that uh, last segment. Um, and I'm going to give you, um, because some of you are probably like, what was that all about? The name of the article is The Cure for Racism is Cancer. It appeared in the September issue of, of The Sun magazine, written by Tony Hoagland, H-O-A-G-L-A-N-D. By all means, go get it. Read it in its entirety, and then please share it, because it is extremely powerful. And so really what Hoagland was writing about was about the power of us becoming, when we are helpless, facing desperation, 
the power of us changing our perspective. And really what it does is it's triggering our empathy for other humans in the hope that we will get empathy in return. And so for this last segment, I want to talk a little bit about empathy. And, you know, I'm sorry, but I am also a very big New York Times um, fan. I rarely ever get the chance to read the New York Times from cover to cover or from front page to last page. And, and by the way, when I read it, I actually want the newspaper and not something online. However, um, I do get a number of articles, and I see a lot of articles that come along the line. And so... Uh, last month, uh, no, actually in August, and I grabbed it because I thought it was so great. There was a uh, a, a um, article, opinion piece uh, titled "Why We Try So Hard to Escape Our Humanity" by Dan Early, A R I E L Y, August twenty fifth of eighteen of uh, New York Times piece. Why we try so hard to escape our humanity, and what Airy writes is about this experiment that econ well, he says economists. I think it's social. Uh, social psychologists do, which is uh, they call it <clears throat> they call it the um, the choice game or the dictator game. I don't like the word dictator, so I'm going to describe it for you in a couple of other ways. So what they do is they they bring in people and they give them uh, this scenario, this choice, and they tell one of the one of the recipients, which we will call the giver, that theoretically he's got a hundred dollar. He or she has a hundred dollars to spend. And they, they can keep that $100 for themselves or they can give some or all of it um, to an, uh, player B, um, which I'll call the recipient. So you've got player A that's got the $100 and you have player B um, who is just sitting there without the money. And the question is... Um, under this scenario, what how what would you give any of your hundred dollars that you just got? Would you would you share it with with a stranger with B, or would you keep all of it? And what uh, the experimenters are finding, the the um, uh, the researchers are finding, is that the vast majority of people will share that one hundred dollars with someone else with player B. Sometimes it's only 20 or $30. Sometimes it's $50. Sometimes it's even more than that. It's not really about the amount that is the um, point here. And so in that response, maybe it's a little tricky. It's kind of a trick um, research because it's not really about how much you give. It's about whether you do give anything. And um, the you know, the thesis here is that this is proof that we have empathetic hearts. Now, I train across this vast North American continent um, about human inclusivity. And when I do do that training, I talk um, for a part of it about our empathetic hearts. You know, my saying is that 99% of all humans have empathetic hearts, 1% total sociopath. Um, there's not much we can do with those folks, um, although I don't want to write anybody off. But the other 99% of us clearly have empathetic hearts. It's just that <clears throat> the vast majority of us, the vast majority of us are afraid to exercise those hearts. And, and, and that gets us to the other point of Early's article, which is what he calls the dark side of empathy, which is that we often want to escape feeling empathy for other people and sometimes our empathy can can be triggered simply by seeing another human in distress yep oh yeah that i mean really that's very quickly how we can do it but we can also and and you know what it's not i, I need to make clear that empathy isn't only about um feeling someone's pain it can also be about feeling someone's joy you know about a child or or a colleague who succeeds and 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 gets a you know gets to a point of great reward. So, but the dark side is because we are humans, um, we you know we often want to run away um, from situations that make us uncomfortable because our heart is speaking to us. Our heart won't leave us alone. And then when we run away, we 
our heart's still yelling at us. I mean, it's like, hey, you can't do this. You can't ignore. And then, and then what happens is that shame, uh, shame, shame comes in, and so does guilt. So, please, as you go forward this week, will you remember that you have that empathetic heart? Will you remember that? And by the way, that empathetic heart helps combat racism. It does. And will you remember it? Will you exercise it? And, and catch yourself when you're running to the dark side, when you're running away and uh, shutting down your empathy because it's too much for you to deal with. So speaking about empathy and um, dealing with things, um, I want to just put a shout out here about um, in a couple of weeks, I'm putting on my very first public event where the public is generally invited. It's happening on, uh, I've been talking about it, but I've got to put a plug in again for it. It's happening on Monday, uh, November 5th, the night before the election, at si between 630, from 6.30 to 8.30 at The Loft, open book in Minneapolis. You can go to my website at elliekrug.com, go down to the on the menu bar and, and see the Human is Human public events page. You can go to that. You can find the link to sign up for tickets. Um, for the event, um, please please come. Please bring others. My, uh, we, I will be talking about gray area thinking, which is a training that I've been doing across America about how to be more welcoming to others. I will give you a tool set on how to be more welcoming to people who are different from you, more welcoming to people who constitute other. I will do that. So I would love for you to come. Please let others know about it. Okay, so that really gets our whole show in, Talking Head Show, but hopefully it was okay. And so you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. If you enjoyed the show, email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. Let me know that you've liked it. A big thanks to our sponsors, the Pride Institute, which is a drug and alcohol residential and outpatient recovery center, and Brending Electrolysis. Tell Bev um, that I sent you because she does great work. A big shout out to my producer, Brett Johnson. You are just so great, Brent. And if you like what you hear, um, go to our podcasts on this. Go, go to where you regularly get your podcasts. Find my show and, and review it if you would. Five stars. I'd love to have that. That makes it easier for our podcast to go. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>